Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are so thankful for our mothers who are here, and we are mindful of the mothers who are not here on this Mother's Day. We want to wish everyone a happy Mother's Day. Today is the day that many dads and their kids have that difficult decision to make. Do we fight the crowds at the restaurants so that we know mom gets a decent meal, or do we try to make something at home that resembles a meal and is hopefully edible, right? You got to Hopefully you've already made that decision, and if we see you get up early and leave, we know you're trying to beat the crowd today. That's okay, no judgment, you can leave. I, I know who's preaching, so. But it is Mother's Day, and, and as we do here, we want to celebrate with our moms, but we also want to be very mindful of those for whom Mother's Day can be difficult. You know, it's not always a wonderful day for people. There are some who have lost their mother, some who've even lost their mother recently. There are some ladies who want to be moms, but for whatever reason, they aren't currently. There are some who have lost a child. Maybe there are some whose relationship with their mother is a little bit strained for whatever reason. And we just want you to know that our hearts go out to you, that just as we rejoice with those who rejoice, we mourn with those who mourn. So if today is difficult for you, please know that you're not alone. And our prayer is that God will draw you close to him, that you will find comfort and peace in knowing him and knowing that he knows and loves you. Well, our tradition around here for, I don't know, a long time is to give our mothers a small token of our love and appreciation. And as you see behind me, we have all these beautiful roses up here. So that's what we want to do. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who loves the Lord, who fears the Lord, is to be praised. And of course, to fear the Lord means that you also love the Lord. And we want to praise our ladies who do that today. So if our young people who are helping could come up and get uh, armed and ready with flowers... We're even going to uh, go to the chapel in case there's some people there. If you're watching online, we will not be knocking on your door, I don't think. If someone does knock on your door, you might want to look through the peephole first. Or Now it's a digital doorbell, right? We don't have peepholes, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that was. But we do want to thank our moms for not only all that you do, but really for who you are as you demonstrate the love of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit in your life. We may have more young people than we have moms in the crowd today, so that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> so let's do it this way. If you became a first-time mom over the past year, stand up, ladies. If you became a first-time mom over the past year, stand up and remain standing. Do we have any? Oh, we have a few in the balcony. Very good. All right, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. If you are a grandmother or a great-grandmother, or a great wonderful grandmother, you stand up and join these younger ladies as well. What a beautiful group. All right, now, if you are a mom, if you consider yourself a mom, would you please stand up? And we want to recognize you. Thank you so much for being here. More than that, thank you for always 
being there for us. We appreciate you. These young people are going to give you a rose. So once you get a rose, you can be seated. That will help these guys know who is left. Are we ready to ready to go break? Okay, you can go ahead. Thanks, guys. While they're doing that, I have a few things that you will never hear a mom say. Things that mom will never say. Are you ready? Number one, hey, let me smell that shirt. Yeah, it's good for another week. Go ahead. Mom will never say that. Here's what a mom will never say. Yeah, leave them out. We enjoy stepping on your Legos barefoot at night. Go ahead and leave those out. Mom will never say that. Mom will never say, yeah, I used to skip school a lot too. You won't hear your mom say that. A mom won't say, well, if everyone else is doing it, I guess it's okay. Right? Mom will never say that. She won't say a dirty room is a sign of creativity, so don't worry about cleaning it. At least my mom never said that. She won't say, don't worry about curfew, that's just a suggestion. Mom won't say, forget about your homework, you can always do it later. You won't hear your mom say that. You won't hear your mom say this, of course you can play video games all night long. In fact, tell me more about Minecraft. (laughs) You'll never hear your mom say that, trust me. You won't hear your mom say this, just because you were too sick to go to school today doesn't mean you can't hang out with your friends now. Go ahead, she won't say that. A mom won't say, I am not doing this for your own good. (laughs) She will not say that. She will not say, when you get there, you get there. No need to call. (laughs) Mom won't say this. You know, I really do care who started it. And yes, you have my permission to end it. You will never, ever hear your mom say that. You won't hear your mom say this. Take your time standing in front of the fridge with the door open. It cools down the house. (laughs) She won't say that. I can understand you so much better when you're whining. Mom will never say that, right? Keep whining, that helps me understand you even better. And your mom won't say, ah, I am so rested and I slept way too long last night. Mom will never say that. Good job, guys. Man, y'all made short order of that. Did we get everybody? Very good, and I think, guys, you're gonna put those out in the lobby, right? They're going to put those out in the lobby, and if you can bless someone, maybe a mom or a grandmother who's not here, maybe someone in an assisted living or another uh, place like that, take a a rose to them and and bless someone else uh, with one of those extra roses this morning. We do want to offer a prayer of blessing and thanksgiving over our moms this morning, and so here's how I want to do it. If you're a mom, if you just stood up to get a rose, remain seated. Everyone else stand up around them. And if your mom is here, you might want to put your hand on your shoulder. You can do that for another mom, but it might be kind of weird, but that's up to you. All moms are made seated. Everyone else stand up around them. And let's offer a prayer of blessing over these these ladies. Let's bow. Father God, thank you so much for the ladies who are seated among us. Father, the stories, the decisions, the work, the service the love, Father, sometimes even the pain. God, all of that comes together in a way that our prayer is brings you glory and honor. Father, I know that's what these ladies want. They want to honor you as they honor their families. They want to serve you as they serve their families. 
God, thank you for their hearts. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for their inner beauty. Thank you for their faith. And Father, our prayer is that you would continue to bless them, that you would protect them, that you would wrap them in your protective, providing arms, that you would give them peace, that you would give them strength to do the things that you have called them to do. Father, that you would give them discernment to choose things that give you honor and glory and bring others closer to you. Father, again, we thank you for these ladies. We pray your richest blessings over them. In the name of Jesus, we say amen. You can be seated. Thank you. You receive invitations all the time. How do you decide whether or not to accept an invitation? Scripture is filled with heartfelt invitations from God to you. He invites those who are exhausted, curious, searching, or in need to find what we need most in Him. Will you accept the invitation? We just started a new sermon series looking at some of the invitations and some of the appeals that we find in Scripture. And I can think of no better invitation to talk about on Mother's Day than Jesus' wonderful words, His tender invitation for all those who are weary and burdened to find rest in him. Any moms here weary and burdened lately? Any moms here need some rest? Are there any mothers who would just love to have the house empty and quiet for an hour? Just some peace and quiet for one hour so that you can rest or get something done that you want to do. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I remember as a kid, I don't know that my mom ever slept When I went to bed, she was awake working on something, and when I got up, she was up working on something. Now, maybe that says more about how long I slept, but I think it also says that she was always busy. And for many moms, I've heard this before, you see or hear Proverbs 31, and you see this beautiful description of a wife of noble character, of a mom, this industrious mom who works inside the house, works outside the house, who provides for a family, who can sew and cook and clean and do all these things. And as you hear those words or as you read those words, those expectations just begin to pile up, don't they? They just begin to stack up. And by, by the way, that whole proverb is a personification of wisdom. Wisdom is viewed as this beautiful, noble wife. But it is also a great picture of a literal wife or mother. But when sometimes you, you hear those words or you see those, those words, you, you feel like this, I'm not enough. I, I can't, I'm not doing enough. I'm not, I'm not a good enough wife. I'm not a good enough mom. I, there's so many expectations, and they come from society, and they come from people at church, and they come from your own family, and they come from you, don't they? these expectations to be more to do more it sounds exhausting and while today we do honor our mothers and we speak to you this message and Jesus's invitation for those who are weary and burdened is not just for you as tired as many of our moms are There are so many people walking around. There are so many people in this space right now who are living with razor-thin margins emotionally, physically, spiritually. Maybe some of it's due to the past two years with COVID. Can we just admit that the past two years have been difficult? Can we admit that? They've been difficult for a number of reasons, haven't they? 
And many of us have just tried to keep our heads down, try to just keep moving forward, adapt, be flexible, make changes, but just keep everything moving forward. And now that it seems we can come up for a little bit of air, we realize we're exhausted. We are worn out. Ken Jones used to be the president of Lubbock Christian University. OC just named him chancellor recently. Well, last year, he sat down with our shepherds and our ministry staff to talk about church, to talk about leadership, and really to talk about how to move forward in these unique times. And he shared with us this this model that he has seen in scripture and in life for many years. And the model is this, fatigue leads to fog, which leads to flirtation. Let me see if I can explain it. So many times when we face pressures in life, from from a number of different sources, external and internal, we feel exhausted, especially new pressures. We get tired, we get exhausted, we are running on empty. And that often puts us, if it's left unchecked, puts us in a deep fog where we can't see very clearly and we can't reason rationally. And so we don't always make the best choices. And so that leads to possibly the next phase, and that is we begin to entertain ideas and people and things that we normally wouldn't even think about because we need this escape, we need this coping mechanism, we need something to make sense or we need something to escape what is happening in our lives. And that word flirt or flirtation, it seems kind of weird, doesn't it? I mean, Sometimes it's literally flirting. I've seen this happen in marriages before. But sometimes it's flirting with things, you know, just getting a little closer to the line or entering into an area or hanging out with people that you don't normally hang out with or trying something just to to do something different, just to find some escape. Well, there's a better way. Jesus invites us to find what we need most in him. He acknowledges your fatigue, your exhaustion, and he meets you in the fog, and he provides a much better alternative than flirting with something that is unhealthy or ungodly. Before we get there, let's back up and see the context for Jesus' invitation in Matthew chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn over there. We're going to look at several different verses toward the end of that chapter, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew tells us that Jesus is ushering in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. This is the true kingdom of God, but so many people are surprised about the nature of the kingdom that Jesus is revealing to them. Not just surprised, but disappointed, I think, is safe to say, because many of them were longing for and looking for a Messiah who could help them establish what they wanted. A Messiah that would affirm their self-righteousness. A Messiah that would join them in wearing the yoke of rigid legalism as a badge of honor. And then use those values to build a powerhouse earthly kingdom to take over the world, to deliver the true people of God. And Jesus comes along and reveals a kingdom of power that is manifested through peace and love and service, and sacrifice. And they just can't get their minds around that because it's not what they wanted, it's not what they expected, and it doesn't do much for them personally, they think. Because they don't 
agree with Jesus. They discredit him. They reject him. He must not be from God. There's no way he could be revealing the true nature of God's kingdom. We know the nature of God's kingdom. We're right at the center of it. This man is a blasphemous man. He's not a Messiah. And so Jesus doesn't pull any punches when he considers these communities who are rejecting him because their expectations are different. And that's what we see in Matthew chapter 11. Look at verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. They didn't repent because they didn't think they had anything to repent of. Jesus, who are you? You're not the Messiah. You're not from God. We're doing it exactly like we should be doing it. And Jesus had some strong words for these towns, including the town of Capernaum, which was where he did many of his miracles and much of his ministry. It's where Peter probably lived. It's where Jesus probably lived at least part of the time. And what's interesting is, if you go to Capernaum today, we talked about this in the speaker series class on Israel, you can go today and you can see many of the, uh, the stones and, and the artifacts and, and much of the village, the town, and the synagogue that was standing in the first century when Jesus is saying these things. And on a sign, as you come into this area that was ancient Capernaum, there's a sign that says Capernaum, the city of Jesus. <laughs> now they claim Jesus, but in his day, they wanted nothing to do with him. So Jesus says in verse 25, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Now remember, much of why many self-righteous, Torah-abiding people rejected Jesus is because he revealed this upside-down kingdom, this kingdom of God that didn't make sense, it didn't meet their expectations, it went against their religious culture. It was not what they wanted. And Jesus here affirms that idea. Yeah, it's sort of upside-down because, for one thing, God isn't making himself known to the people that you might think, the scholars among you, those who have imprinted the law of God on their minds, but the love of God is nowhere in their hearts. On the outside, they look like they have it all together, and they demand other people look like they have it all together. But on the inside, they are far from God. And who does Jesus say God makes himself known to? Who does Jesus say God reveals his truth to? To little children. That's odd. To little children? You see, in that day, in that time, little children didn't have social status. They didn't have importance. They certainly didn't have influence. Jesus is teaching us something here, isn't he? Can you imagine being a person, hearing Jesus say this about God revealing the true nature of his kingdom to little children, not to those scholars, not to those religious elite Leaders, Can you imagine being on the outside looking in, always feeling like you didn't measure up, always feeling like you weren't good enough, always feeling like you couldn't keep the law, that you had no chance for God's favor, that you were always going to be on the outside. And then you hear Jesus, who claims to be from God, say that God has a heart for people like you. 
that the true nature of God's kingdom is inclusive of people like you. It would be so welcoming. It would be so inviting. But to those in power, to those who had status, it would be so threatening. It's no wonder why they rejected Jesus. So notice what he says in verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus affirms that no matter what people say about him, no matter what they think about him, he is in fact sent from the Heavenly Father. He reveals, he reflects the Father in the flesh to the people who will receive him, to those who he has chosen, to those he invites. And who is it that he invites? And that's where we have this wonderful invitation. Verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see what Jesus does there? Jesus does what is unexpected. He does what is counterintuitive, what is countercultural. He does what is not popular or politically correct. He invites those who are exhausted, those who are weary, those who are burdened to find rest for their souls. No one else among the powers that be have the time of day for those who are marginalized for those who are maligned, for those who are on the outside looking in. And Jesus says, you come to me and find what you need most. You see how this all fits together in Matthew's gospel here? As Jesus ushers in this upside-down kingdom, he doesn't toast the Torah-abiding elite. He doesn't congratulate those who have it all together. He doesn't salute the self-righteous. He invites the tired, the weary, the burdened, to come to him, to look to him, to find what they need most. And in fact, when you look at his language, he's talking about the very people that the self-righteous and showy, they are the ones putting the burden on them. They are the reason these people are tired and exhausted and weary and burdened. Later, Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law And the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. Jesus' invitation to the weary and the burdened is not just a tender appeal to those who are in need of rest. It is a direct indictment on those who are pridefully putting an unnecessary burden on others. They are telling people the only way to find favor from God is to keep the law perfectly. And yet their own hearts are so far from God. They're too busy judging other people to be close to God. And Jesus sees the weight of this impossible burden that people are expected to carry around. People walking around with the pressure to be more, to do more, to do something and be something that they can't be and do perfectly. 
The pain of being judged for not being enough or doing enough. The guilt of failure for not measuring up to a standard. And Jesus tenderly says, come to me. Come to me. Join me. Find rest in me. Untether yourself from this performance-based religion and walk with me. Yoke with me. He uses that language, yoke with me or share my yoke. And, and, and we know that even if we don't work in agriculture, we know what a yoke is. It's an apparatus used many times in farming to join animals together, oxen or mules, I guess. And, and together they, they go in the same direction and they have more power when they are held together like that. I think in many ways that's what Jesus is offering here. He's saying you can have power you can have purpose, you can have direction if you just join yourself to Jesus. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to be good enough because you're not gonna make it. Attach yourself to the goodness of Jesus. Let him give you power. Let him give you direction. Let him give you peace and rest. Doesn't that sound inviting? Doesn't that sound good? Jesus says this interesting phrase, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You kind of do a double take when you read that, don't you? At least I do. Because his way does not seem easy. His destiny didn't seem easy. What he calls us to doesn't seem easy. Is the way of Jesus easy? Is the path of discipleship smooth and comfortable? No, not always. So many times, it's difficult to do the right thing. It's difficult to respond in the right way. It's difficult to view people the right way. So many times, it's difficult to sacrifice and to serve and to die to self. That is not easy. That is not comfortable. In Revelation, we read in chapter 14 that one day we will rest from our labors. I think it's interesting that that's the word that's used there. We will rest from our labors in Christ. You see, discipleship is difficult. And yet Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. What's he saying there? I think when you get down to it, he's saying something like this. <laughs> what we might think is a difficult day with Jesus is always better than an easy day without him because we're with him. Professor of theology Douglas Webster says it so well, I, I wanted to include this quote. He says, apart from the grace of Christ and the saving work of the cross, it would be impossible to convince people that the easy yoke is doable, let alone easy. But for those who live under the yoke of Christ, there is absolutely no other way to live. Who in their right mind would go back to the gods of self money, lust, and power. He continues, who would return on bended knee to the shrines of pious performance and judgmentalism? Is not love better than hate? Purity better than lust? Reconciliation better than retaliation? And is not better really easier when measured in character rather than convenience? Rest for the soul rather than selfish pride? I think he sums it up right there. Jesus isn't saying, hey, come with me and your life will be easy and everything will be convenient and you'll be always comfortable. No. He's saying, on your own, trying to earn God's favor, 
trying to be enough and do enough, it's not going to happen. So come join me and share in my goodness and my righteousness. And wherever we go in life, it will always be easier to go with Jesus. Today, Jesus invites you to find rest with him. With him. Doesn't that sound good? Isn't that needed? You see, that phrase to find implies that you're searching, that you want rest. I think that's where we have to start. So many of us, we just run. Fast pace, all out, run, sprint the whole time through life. We never even stop to be in the moment. We're too busy moving toward the future. And Jesus says, stop. The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. Well, we just read right over that and keep going because we can't be still. (laughs) Be still. Slow down. Find rest. About seven years ago, Carrie Ann and Riley and I took a little walk. It wasn't just a casual walk through the neighborhood. We set our sights on something a little more challenging. Mount Elbert, the tallest mountain in Colorado, the second highest summit in the lower 48, 14,433 feet. I will never forget that number. (laughs) I felt every one of those feet. I never was a Boy Scout, but I like to be prepared. Sometimes, some might say overly prepared for things like this. So as we got ready to go, I packed a backpack. I wanted to make sure we had everything we needed. And so I put lots of bottles of water in that backpack. Because if you've ever been up there, you know you have to stay hydrated. That shuts everything down if you're not hydrated. So I packed enough water for me and for everybody else and for any stranger we might see on the way up there. And I wanted to make sure we captured this experience. And so I took my big, nice digital camera with a telephoto lens. And you know, you can't just trust an indifferent hiker to take your picture of something so important. So I think I threw in a little tripod. (laughs) I knew it was going to be chilly at 5 a.m. when we hit the trailhead, and I knew also it wouldn't take long to warm up and get hot, but I also knew that it was likely going to rain because that's what it does up in the mountains. So I took and I wore several different layers and snacks. Got to have snacks. Got to have fuel, right, to keep going. All kinds of snacks. I had a bag of trail mix. I don't know why I thought we needed this much trail mix. This, this bag of trail mix could have sustained a small village for at least two weeks. I'm telling you, this huge bag of trail mix. My backpack was packed to the gills. 5 a.m. trailhead. It's a six-mile hike to the summit. You think, oh, that's not bad. I mean, six miles, that's, you can walk that. But it's an elevation change of 5,000 feet. And I don't know if you've been up there or not, But once you get pretty high, the oxygen gets very thin, right? Thin air. Oxygen molecules are more spread out. You have to breathe like this. (laughs) There's no air up there. You have to find air. And so we set out, and we kind of, the three of us, we sort of hit the wall at different times. And I'm thinking, why am I carrying all this stuff? With every step I took, that pack got heavier and heavier. 
But I gotta tell you, my resolve to carry it got stronger and stronger. You know what I'm saying? They offered to take some of the stuff. No, I'm fine. I got this. You know how many times I've hiked to the top of a mountain with a backpack? This is nothing. I got this. Why did I not lighten that load? Well, because I thought we might need that stuff. That stuff's important. I mean, what happens if it rains? What happens if we get thirsty? What happens if we get hungry? What happens if we need pictures? And so I thought we needed all of that stuff. And besides, I didn't know where to put it. I mean, what do you do with it? Yeah, I could share it with them, but then they have to carry it. I could leave it on the trail, but who knows if it would be there when we get back. And (laughs) that's a lot of trail mix. We can't just leave that there, right? But I got to tell you, the reason I didn't take anything out of that pack, if I'm honest, it was pride. It was pride. I got this. Of course I can carry this. I'm not too old to do this. Man, does that sound familiar? We are carrying around so much stuff in life. Our packs are filled to the gills, and we just keep carrying it. Think about some of the things you carry around. Maybe it's this performance-based religion that says you have to do more and be more. Maybe it's a relentless drive inside of you that says my worth and my value comes from what people say and think about me. That's exhausting. That's a burden that never gets lighter. Maybe it's this overbearing guilt of past mistakes and you just carry those. You just lug them around wherever you go. You think everyone who sees you is thinking about the things that you've done in your life that aren't honorable. And that guilt and that shame is just always there. Maybe it's a backpack full of worry or weariness or discontentment. Maybe it's grief that you just always carry with you. It's always a burden. It's always a shadow over you. Maybe loneliness or shame. So many times for people, it's, it's insecurity. We carry around insecurity, but we mask it with overconfidence. For some, it's anxiety of a racing heart and a spinning mind that never enjoys the peace that passes understanding. We just carry anxiety all the time and worry. For some, it's the physical exhaustion of a high adrenaline lifestyle or always trying to keep the plates spinning. For others, the pain of being hurt or mistreated or misunderstood or dismissed. Always on the outside looking in. For others, it's doubts that are becoming stumbling blocks to the faith that you had, that you thought you had, but you aren't going to share those doubts with anyone. Maybe because of pride, maybe because of fear, maybe because you don't want them to see you differently. We could go on and on. We carry around a lot of stuff, don't we? So much stuff. And we know that the journey would be easier if we would just remove some of it, if we would just share some of it, if we would just unload, lighten the load a little bit. But we think we might need that stuff. That stuff almost makes us comfortable in some ways. It has become a part of us. Our identity is wrapped up in that stuff. Who will we be? What will we do if we don't have that stuff? And sometimes it's just plain old pride. I can do this. I got this. Pull myself up by my bootstraps. I've got the strength to do this. Well, on our long hike up that mountain, you can see the picture there. That is Mount Elbert. 
It doesn't look that tall in the picture. But you can see above tree line there, there's still a long way to go. And when we got above tree line, and I was struggling to put one foot in front of the other, and I was struggling to find air for my lungs, I finally thought, you know what? This is silly. This is absolutely silly. You don't have to lug that backpack up there. And so I took up my wife and my son, their offer to help carry. And we distributed some of that weight. And I did. I left some of it. We left some clothes on the trail. If someone takes them, bless you with them. But they'll probably be there when we get down, when we come back, and they were. So I lightened that load. And I got to tell you, the last leg of the journey was still difficult, but it was so much easier. So much easier. And we made it to the top, and we made it together. And that was our rule the whole way. If one of us needs to stop for whatever reason, we all, we all stop. But we made it. By the grace of God, we made it. Isn't it time for you to let go of some things? Isn't it time for you to take Jesus up on his offer? He says, come to me. I know you're weary. I know you're burdened. I know you're exhausted. I know you keep trying to be more and do more. Just come to me. Let me carry that for you. I know you're struggling with temptation. You're struggling with sin. Give that to me. I know your past isn't what you hoped it would be. Let me redeem that. I know you have anxiety over so many things in your life. Let me give you peace. That's Jesus' invitation. It's time to let go of some things. But to take him up on his offer means you have to surrender, doesn't it? You see, shame will say no. Fear will say that you need to keep lugging that luggage of your life. Pride will say you can do it. And Jesus says, come to me and let me do it for you. The Apostle Peter, who knew a thing or two about carrying burdens, said it this way in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's the message today. Jesus cares for you, and he wants to carry the burden of your life. The greatest burden you have is rooted in sin, and Jesus has already shown us that he has taken that burden from us. You don't have to perform. You don't have to be good enough. I got news for you. You can't be good enough. Neither can I. But he is. So just come to him. Yoke with him. Join him. Live life with him. Is it smooth? Is it comfortable? Not always. But it's easy with Jesus. If we can help you today, let us do that. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor, a room right behind me. Before you leave, you can stop in there and they'll pray for you. Or you can come down to the front. Or maybe today you're ready to give your life to Christ, to be baptized into Christ. We would love to celebrate with you. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.